We're so glad that you're listening to the Embrace Church podcast. If you live here in South Dakota and you haven't done so before, we'd love to have you join us in person at one of our locations. I hope today's message brings you closer to Jesus. Let's jump in. Hey, Embrace. It's so good to be here with all of you. My name is Travis. If you don't know who I am, I'm one of the pastors out here. And whether you're joining us at a campus or online or one of our network churches, we're just always so thankful that you've joined us for worship. I'm going to start us off a little bit different than I typically do. I'm going to start us off with a math problem. Who in here is excited about a math problem? Nobody. There was one whoop back in the right corner, but other than that, no one's excited about this. Uh, in a previous life, I was a math teacher for just a little stint. And so this is like my dream, like to teach you guys all math. My dream is your nightmare, right? Okay, it's an easy math problem though, okay? We're gonna start off with this. Uh, you have 700,000 hours in your lifespan. So that's how long on average you are gonna live, 700,000 hours. Of that 700,000 290 hours is spent sleeping. So I, I don't like to sleep. I tell my wife this all the time. I say sleeping is a waste of time. Like it, I love to stay up late, get up early, and now I have the math to prove that I'm right. That's a lot of time to waste as sleeping. So that leaves you with 410,000 hours that you are awake. Of that 410 hours, 92,000 hours is your childhood. So from zero to 18. So that leaves us with 308,000 hours in your adult lifespan. So if you're an adult, that is the time you have that many hours. Some of you have a little less than that. I'm oh, sorry, that's not very nice to say. But that's how many hours that you have in your lifespan. Of that 308,000 hours, you will spend 116,000 hours doing one thing. You will spend over a third of your adult life doing one activity. Do you know what it is? Yeah, working. You'll spend that much time working. More than eating, more than exercising, more than vacationing, more than hanging out with your friends. Uh, the only thing you'll spend more time doing is sleeping. One third of your adult life, 116,000 hours is spent just working. Well, today we are continuing our series called Smoke and Mirrors. And if this is one of your first times with us, let me just explain a little bit what Smoke and Mirrors means. A smoke and Mirrors is something that appears to be impressive and true, but it's an illusion. Smoke and Mirrors is something that appears to be impressive and true, but is an illusion. So the past three weeks, we talked about the smoke and mirrors in our family, in our friendships, and in our mental health. And today, we're going to talk about the smoke and mirrors that we have in that 116,000 hours of our life, our work. Uh, so I, my job, as you might know, is a pastor. Um, I've worked at Embrace for 12 years. And 12 years ago, when I started at this church, it was only 400 people big. We only had 400 people in the whole church. Uh, but soon after that, we moved into a new location, which is the current 57th Street location. And the day we moved in, we doubled in size. size. And then we doubled again. And then we doubled again. And then we doubled again. 
which was amazing. Like, I, I, we just couldn't believe what was happening. Like, there was so much growth. God was blessing our work. But if I'm being honest about that season, there was a lot of smoke and mirrors in my life. I was stressed beyond belief. Like, anxious, so anxious. And I'm one of these guys, like, I, I like to pride myself that I'm even keeled. Like, I don't go, I have no high highs. I don't have low lows. I just stay nice and steady the whole time. But man, I was, I was crashing. I was so stressed out. This might be too much information, but I actually got shingles during that season. And the doctor said it was because I had spent, I was way too stressed out uh, in my job. So we had all this amazing stuff happening at the church. We were growing, we were doubling, but internally it was smoke and mirrors because I couldn't sleep at night. I was overwhelmed by it. I had this gap between what I was letting everyone think I was looking like and what I actually was. What I was portraying and what was actually the reality. So that's me, but my guess is there's a lot of you that relate to that story as well. Uh, maybe for you, you've been at the same job for over 10 years. Uh, you've received good employee reviews. Uh, everybody likes you at your work, uh, but it's smoke and mirrors. You hate your job. The pay just sucks. You're bored out of your mind, and you hate getting up on Monday mornings. Or, but maybe for you, it's, it's you have a demanding job. Like, Stuff is going well. You work hard. Like you pride yourself. You're a really hard worker. Everyone around you looks at you and they say you're a really hard worker. But honestly, it's smoke and mirrors uh, because you wake up in the middle of the night. You can't go back to sleep. You're so stressed. You can feel the weight on your chest. I know this is a real thing because I felt it. You can literally feel the pressure on your chest. Or maybe you're someone who's really just killing it in your career. Uh, you have a great job, great salary. Uh, you talk about numbers all the time, number of clients, number of sales, your income level rising. Everything looks great, but it's all smoke and mirrors because you're miserable. You've sacrificed your family, your friends, your kids for this goal. And honestly, when you look at everything you've done, it all feels kind of empty. Do any of those resonate with you? Why is there this gap between what we portray and what is reality? Well, I think one of the reasons why there is this gap is because we're afraid of failing. I know that's a deep fear of mine. I can't share that I'm going through something because I don't want other people to know that I'm failing inside. Another reason why there's this gap is because of pressure. You know, you know we got to... We, we, we can't share what's going on inside because, because we got to keep it together. Like, and if we crack, everyone's going to crack. If we fall apart, the whole organization, the organization might fall apart. What's another reason why we can't, we can't share? It's because of success. Like, you may be someone, you're like, man, I've gotten everything I've wanted. I met all the goals. I got the salary I wanted, and I'm still miserable. I can't share that with people. They're going to look at me and think like I'm an idiot. I've gotten everything that I've ever wanted. One other thing is your job's become your identity. You've worked this job for so long, you don't even know who you are without this job. You can't evaluate what's going inside of you because you are what you do. Jesus spoke to this kind of ugly thing in our souls as it comes to our work when he said this. What good will it be for, for someone to gain the whole world 
yet lose their soul? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose their soul? Jesus is saying it is possible to look like you have gained everything, but to lose everything. It is possible for it look like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay, the job's great, but it is sucking the life out of your soul. So if we're going to spend over a third of our adult life, 116,000 hours working, man, don't we want something more than this? Don't we want something more than just going to work on Mondays? Don't we want something more than feeling anxious, overwhelmed, angry, and almost dead inside? Well, I want to share with you three things this morning that I think can be game changers. As you look at removing the smoke and mirrors in your life around your career, your job, your work, I really think these three things, if we put them into place, could change the way Monday mornings feel. The first thing, if we want to remove the smoke and mirrors in our life, the first thing we need to do is identify what's driving us. Identify what's driving us. Now, when I hear about like the 116,000 hours, some of you love that. You're like workaholics and you like love all those hours. But for me, when I look at that 116,000 hours and the amount of stress and anxiety it produces, I'm like, where's my vacation, man? I'm retiring early. I want to golf. I want to go to the beach. Like if work is stress, then let's get rid of work, right? That's the problem. But it's not. Work isn't the problem. What's driving work is. Work isn't the problem. What driving our work is. Uh, you, if you look in the Bible, you won't find a negative word about work. In fact, the Bible actually elevates work to something that's holy, something that we are created to do. I just look at some of these, these verses. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. Work was good from the beginning. Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. The place that you feel things, give that all to your work. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Not just give all your heart, give all your strength and your energy to it as well. You will not find a negative word about work in the Bible. Instead, God wants you to work. God wants you to build things. God wants you to produce something. The problem isn't work. The problem is what is driving our work. Um, I was listening to a podcast, and it was interviewing this guy. His name is Miroslav Volf. That's for sure. That's for, for sure a Russian name. Miroslav Volf. And Miroslav, he's a, he's a Christian and a Yale professor, and he teaches this popular course called A Life Worth Living. And in this podcast, he shared three things, three things that drive our work, three things that influence the way we work. And I just thought they were so powerful. There were this money, status, and control. Money, status, and control. Money, it drives our work. I don't care if you have a lot of it or a little of it, it drives you. Some of us are driven to make more and more, and some of us are just driven to put groceries on the table, right? 
But whatever it is, money is a massive driver in our work. Status, it always is also drives us. Uh, we are always desiring to climb the ladder. I know some of you are like, maybe I know I don't. Yeah, we all love to climb the ladder. We all like to be higher today than we were yesterday. We all want our friends and our family and our coworkers to look at us and say, man, they're a good worker. Man, they're doing a good job. Man, they're smart. They're intelligent. They're successful. We all are driven by the ladder. We're also driven by control. Uh, we love to control people. We love to control money. We love to control our resources. Uh, just, I'm just going to say, we love to be the boss, right? Like, we want to be the boss. If, if your boss is a dork, you could do his job better than him, right? I mean, I see this so clearly in my four-year-old, my four-year-old son. He is the most strong-willed son of a gun you've ever met in your entire life. And I literally, I, like, I take him by the cheeks. I don't maybe grab his cheeks, but you know what I'm saying. Like, I just take him by the cheeks and put my hands on the side of him. I'm like, you are not the boss. And maybe I'm the one that has control issues, right? Like, but man, he just wants to be in control so much. But so do we. We're driven by that. We love control. Now, if there's any part of you that are like, nah, Travis, I don't really believe that those are the three driving uh, forces. I just want you to think for a second, what happens when you don't have those three things? When you don't have those three things in your work, you're miserable. When you don't have money, you'll complain about not getting paid enough. When you don't have status, you'll get angry because you're underappreciated. When you don't have control, you'll get frustrated that people don't listen to your ideas. These three, these three things, they drive us. Now, I want to be crystal clear. Money, status, and control are not bad. Don't hear me say that. These three, three, three things are not bad. I, you got my blessing. Work to get as much money as you can. Work to get as much status as you can. Work to get as much control as you can. Like those three things are not bad. They just can't be the sole thing that drives our work. These are tools, not goals. These are means, not the end. And if we let these three things drive us, do not be surprised if you feel like life and work is sucking the life out of your soul. Do not be surprised if you're anxious, overwhelmed, and burned out. So if these three things are not supposed to drive us, what is? So the second thing I think can really help us is we remove the smoke and mirrors from our life is this. We must be fueled by a calling. We must be fueled by a calling. If I was to ask you, what is your vocation? I know it's a little bit of a word, weird word nowadays, but if I was to ask you, what is your vocation? You would answer with what you do. Like you would say, I'm a carpenter. I'm, a, I'm an engineer. I'm a, I'm a nurse. Because vocation means what we do, right? It actually doesn't. That's not what the word used to mean. A vocation is an old Latin word, and it meant to call. So vocation is not what you do. Your vocation is a calling. Now, this word calling, we use it in the church, and it's super churchy word, like I was called by God to do this, or God's calling me to this. The word, it's much more simple than that. The word calling assumes 
that someone is calling you. You cannot call yourself. Somebody has to call you. I like, to th- I like to think about like the old farmhouses that had a dinner bell outside of it. Anybody seen that before? A dinner bell outside the house? And mom would go outside at, at noon to ring the dinner bell to do what? To call in the people from the field. To call in the kids from eating. To call in the kids from playing in order to eat. That's what that word means. Your vocation is a calling. God is calling you. God is beckoning you. God is inviting you to something, to do something, to be something, to produce something, to create something. God is calling you. This is what should fuel our Monday mornings. How do you find your calling? (laughs) Some of you are here like, that's great, Travis. I hate my job. I don't feel called to it at all. Like, my job stinks. Like, how do I find my calling? Well, one thing about this word calling is a lot of times we think it means we're called to a specific job. Like, you're called to be a nurse. You're called to be an engineer. You're called to be a computer programmer. That's not really what the word, the word means. In fact, this idea of being able to choose any job you want, like you have this, like, these numerous jobs, you're out of high school, you can choose any job you want, that's a relatively new phenomenon, like in the last couple hundred years. Instead, this is what I want you to think of when we think of the word calling. God isn't calling you to a different kind of work. God is calling you to a different way of working. Let me repeat that one more time. God isn't calling you to a different kind of work, not a different job. I got to hop to this job, to this job, to this job. No, God is calling you to a different way of working. Uh, One time, Jesus, he was talking with uh, two of his close friends, James and John. So he had the 12 disciples. They were two of them. And these two, James and John, they were a lot like us. They were motivated by money, status, and control. And so they come to Jesus, and this is crazy, but they say, hey, Jesus, in your future kingdom, can we be at your right and your left hand? I did that opposite. Right, left hand. There we go. I don't even know my right from my left anymore. Can we be at your right and your left hand? They're basically saying, can we have the highest position of status in your kingdom? And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus is so brilliant. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. And here's the point. This right here is the key. Man, this is the key to unlock our calling in our jobs. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Don't miss this. Jesus' calling is our calling. Jesus' vocation is our vocation. Your life calling, the work God wants you to do in this world is to serve, not be served. God is not calling us to a different kind of work. He's calling us to a different way of working. Now, this is crazy to think about. So we are motivated by money, status, control, Jesus had all three of those things. He was God himself. He was God's son. He had all three of those things. But what did he do with them? He laid them down to serve us, to give his life as a ransom for all 
of us. You will find your calling when you connect what you do with who you serve. We will find our calling when we connect what we do with who we serve. Your calling is much more about who rather than do. If you are a custodian and you clean spaces, you don't just clean spaces. You prepare spaces for people. You prepare spaces for people to live in and to enjoy. It's not about what you do. It's about the who. If you're a computer programmer, where you sit in front of your computer almost all day long, you don't just write code. You create systems. You create databases to make people's lives better. It's about the who, not the do. If you're a teacher, you don't only teach kids. You are raising up future leaders. You are raising up future fathers. You are raising up future mothers. It's about the who, not the do. And if we want to find in our jobs, without changing jobs five million times, if you want to find purpose and meaning and you want to find your calling right where you are this Monday, tomorrow, you got to change it from a do to a who. you got to connect what you are doing to who you are serving. So that's the second thing. We have to build our work on a calling. Lastly, the last thing we need in order to remove the smoke and mirrors in our lives is we need to keep the future in mind. One thing that makes us unique as human beings, more unique than any other thing that God has created, is we can think about the future. Now, your dog does not think about next week and plan accordingly, right? Except for my dog, Hazel, uh, she plans accordingly to poop every time my wife leaves the house, like in the basement. Drives me insane. I don't know how she knows she's gone, but that's what her plan is. So. But we have this amazing ability as humans is we can look to the future. We can see the future, but we don't use it very often. I see this with my kids, right? And I know parents, you, you probably felt the same way. I'm just like, hey, dude, if in your education, in your, in your sports, and in your music, if you practice, if you study, do you know what you could become? Do you know what you could do? I see my kids playing piano. They hate playing piano. I'm like, do you know what could happen if you keep playing? You'll be free to play the keys. And I say this because I know that when we look at the future, it can change our present. When we look at the future, it can change our present. Here's the deal. You and I are going to spend the majority of our adult life working. And when we think about the future, when you think about the end of your life, are you going to be proud of the work that you've done? I was thinking about this this week. At the end of my life, in the future, the only question that's going to matter com uh, concerning my work, not, my, not the only question that's going to matter in general, but the only question that's going to matter concerning my work is this. Will you be proud of what you built? Will I be proud 
of what I built. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it, it comes from a guy named Paul. He's writing to his friend Timothy, and he's trying to help him keep the future in the mind. Paul's at the end of his life, and he's given Timothy a picture of what life could look like at the end. Listen to this verse. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. He's at the end of his life. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all of you who have longed for his appearing. Our goal when we keep the future in mind, when we think about the end of our lives and we ask that question, am I proud of what I've built? Our goal is to answer it like this. I fought the good fight. I did hard work, but I did good work. I finished the race. God gave me a race to run and I ran it, but I didn't only run it, I finished it. I crossed the finish line. I kept the faith. All these things pulled on me, but I kept Jesus first in everything that I did. And the Lord will give me the crown of righteousness. I didn't work for the crown of money. I didn't work for the crown of status. I didn't work for the crown of control. I worked for the crown that Jesus gives. The crown of righteousness. As you think about the future, as you think about the end, wouldn't it be so cool if we could answer these questions like this on your deathbed to say, I fought the good fight. So 116,000 hours. You and I have 116,000 hours and instead of putting up the smoke and mirrors like we are fulfilled in our jobs, what would happen if we actually were? I don't know about you, like when I really focus for an hour, like when I give my full energy and my full attention in that hour, when I'm fully present in an hour, it's amazing what I can get done. That's one hour. You and I get 116,000 of them. What would it look like if you used every hour to its fullest potential? What, if it look, what would it look like if you used every hour and you thought towards the future? What would it look like in every hour if you looked to, be, to serve instead of being served? Imagine how that could change your week. Imagine how that could change your work. Imagine the things you could do. Imagine the good things that could get done. Imagine the joy that you would find in your life. Imagine the people you could help. Imagine the fight you could fight. Imagine the race that you could run. You and I, we don't have to work 116,000 hours. We get to work 116,000 hours. And God wants to use every last one of them to its fullest potential.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for work. Even if our jobs royally just stink, we thank you for work. And we know that you want to do something through our work. You want, to, you want us to produce something. You want us to create something. You want us to build something. Not for ourselves, but for others. Help us to connect the do to the who. Help us to connect what we do to who we serve, God. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If today's message encouraged you or if there's someone who comes to mind that you think might need to hear today's message, take a moment now to share it with them. 